Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Horrible, a weekly podcast where OG millennials have honest and candid conversations about dating, sex, yes, butt stuff, relationships, entanglements, and everything in between. Starring your host, Scarlett Prynne. Pull those anal beads out slowly. This is not a lawnmower. You don't want to hit a snag. (laughs) And featuring guests, Willow Gray. If I saw my man with another woman, I'd have to cut a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And occasionally emerging from behind the scenes, the producer, Spider. Kinky is using a feather. Perverted is using the whole damn bird. (laughs) So we're doing something a little special, doing a bonus series where we're going to dive into one-on-one interviews with the personalities that will agree to it. We'll see how many of them I can get to sign up. And Willow, you're a brave one signing up first for this. That's right. A brave one or a stupid one? One of the two. And I've already given her my full disclosures of, and told her to embrace the suck. I should have typed up a contract beforehand, a disclosure template or something we should have both signed. But in all reality, one thing I've explained to Willow before we started recording is that she has complete ownership over what we record here and complete veto rights to take out anything that she wants. So if you are listening to this right now, know that she listened to it. And she approved it. And I just don't even want to understate how brave it is of her to let the story that she's about to tell be out there in public. It's huge. I'm super proud of you. Thank you. So with that being said, let's dive in. Let's start with something that you had just said a second ago, right before we started recording. And I said, let's dive into that. You probably are going to have your fear of rejection alarms going wild. Yeah. You know, and we started down that pathway. Yeah. And then talking about how, you know, some of this might be bringing up issues with just thinking that people might reject you or things like that. Yeah. Whatever. You don't care? I really don't. Because at the end of the day, I can lay down my head at night and know I'm a good person and I know I have morals and values and there isn't anything that I wouldn't do for the people that I care for, that I love. And that's all that counts. And I practice a golden rule, do unto others. So, you know, if people want to make a judgment call, okay. But the people that know me know how I am and who I am. That's what counts to me. So let me challenge you a little bit. Okay. Because you had said something in our group Discord chat about your anger towards the whole Hazel situation. Mm-hmm. and how you felt like now you're going to be perceived as inauthentic based on the things that she had said on right. the podcast. Right. And how you felt like you were now having to, I guess, more or less, yeah. if I can summarize, I don't remember everything you said, but more or less dig yourself out of what you feel like yeah. was a hole that was created for you. Right. So is that, I guess, kind of a fear of people judging you? No, I think because... She felt that I wasn't authentic. Every session we've been in, I have been 100% myself. What I say, maybe I may not be tactful and I know I have a potty mouth, but I am who I am. And I don't want people to think she's full bullshit. That's not really who she is. It's not that I'm being rejected. I just want people to know what you've heard from me from the get-go is me. And someone that's been around me for 30 minutes and think they heard what they heard when other people didn't hear what that was and had already made up their mind about me in 30 minutes. I don't care if people like me in 30 minutes or not, but don't put a bias on me because you believe one thing about me and then try to your opinion about me to everybody else and then not talk to me about it. We're all adults, aren't we? I mean, we're not high school girls. That's a mean girl mentality. And we could have talked like adults. The episode at the end mentioned specifically me. Yeah. And you're referring to the episode called Is Garlet a Bully? Correct. Yeah. When she had said, I'm not going to come. I didn't perceive it as her being a bully. I didn't really care. I just bowed out of that episode because I didn't experience New Year's Eve. 
But was it not tactful? Absolutely. And I said that on the follow-up episode. But why I'm trying to say this is because my name was mentioned at the end. And although you said it wasn't about me, I feel like it was the final straw that broke the camel's back. Let me give some context to that whole situation. Yeah. When you say that I said it wasn't about you, her leaving the podcast and her breaking off the relationship with me was not about you, that specifically. Now, obviously, in that conversation, as you mentioned that we had at that podcast recording, that your name was brought up. And I had a difficulty whenever I was editing that episode. But I also was trying to make sure that I was presenting that discussion fairly. Right. And I felt like if I cut out the part with your name in it, basically would have been like I was cutting out the parts where I looked ugly. Because admittedly, that last part of that episode was not a good look for me. So certainly me cutting that out, I'm like, you know, it's basically going to be like, oh, I'm going to present when I looked good, but not when I looked bad. So I had come to you before that episode aired and talked to you about this. So we had that discussion. I didn't want you to be blindsided. And I so appreciate (laughs) that because I would have been like, what the fuck? (laughs) But here's what happened and why Hazel said the things that she said about the authenticity. Yeah. I'm also going to preface that by saying she had issues with a lot of people on the podcast. So you weren't the only one. Right. But the particular issue that she was raising as it pertained to you to give some context about this. Right. When you and I had first met the very first time that we met in person, we had brought up the discussion about open marriages. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember having that discussion at all, but you had mentioned to me we were at a restaurant just chit-chatting. I was Mm -hmm. trying to see if you were going to be a good fit for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And you had said you were really interested in that Mm -hmm. and fascinated by it. And you were asking a lot of questions about it and how did it work. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember the exact details of that discussion of what exactly was said, but I definitely got the impression that you were interested in opening your marriage. Now, I don't know if that was explicitly stated because I don't remember, but that was the impression I left with. And so whenever we were planning that episode, which was, I don't remember what episode that was, but it was about open marriages it and was, swinging, I think. Yeah, because it was like a follow-up from the monogamy versus non-monogamy. So that episode, we had Axel here. We had Chase here. We had Hazel here. It was yep. a whole group. I yep. think we even had Lila here. It was nope. a full room. It was Raylan and I. It was our first episode together. Okay. Yeah. So we had a full room here. And before we started recording, as it usually goes, five minutes beforehand, we're trying to decide what we're going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I kind of had had an idea about that one. Sometimes I'll have kind of just a loose idea of what we're going to do. Right. And so I had mentioned to the team before we got here, I think we're going to talk about open marriages for one of our episodes. And I was talking about the people that were going to be in the room. And I mentioned you specifically. I'm like, yeah, Willow would like to have an open marriage. She's interested in that. And so I had kind of set that up before anyone got here. Yeah. So then we're discussing five minutes beforehand. Hey, yeah, we're going to talk about open marriages. Of course, I'm in one right now. Sure. Axel had been in one for years prior. And then Willow, she's interested in opening her marriage. Mm -hmm. And... You said, well, 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 wait a second. You were like, I don't want my husband knowing that. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. I don't. Yeah. The discussion that I had with you, I was interested to see how the whole polyamorous world was. Yeah. And I wasn't interested, honestly, in opening my marriage. I kind of more so wanted to know from your perspective what the dating world is like now you know, without going down a slippery slope. My husband and I, we've had problems like every couple. And we'll dive into that later. Right. That's what I was kind of more inquisitive about because of his history, that if I said to him, which him and I did have that conversation, you know, what do you think of of marriage? And he's like, that's what you want. That's great. But I'm not going to be a party to it. I think I was more interested in hearing about everything that was going on in the dating world. And how it was in the dating world, the apps. And not even that I wanted to be part of the dating world, not right now, but maybe in the future, because I was thinking I might separate 
I mean, he's known for a long time, hey, you're not living up to my expectations. And I've talked to you and I've talked to you and there's been promises and promises and you're not listening to me. Him and I talked about open marriages and then we really, really talked about it. And then I heard Chase and Hazel talk about, think of people as just another toy. Mm -hmm. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, well, that is psychotic thinking. That's almost like sociopathic because I can't think of people as toys. They've got feelings. They've got emotions. And I knew at that moment that I could never, ever even be in an open relationship, much less an open marriage, and especially with him. Because when I said, if you go back to that episode, I said, if I saw him with someone, it would break my heart. And even Chase said, if anyone in the relationship is a jealous person, it's not going to work. And I knew then that open marriage would have never worked for me. And that was what the conversation you and I had originally I wanted to know just more information about that. And then as I got to thinking, as time went on, I'm like, you know, I really want to know about how she's working it and trying to balance men on the side, her husband, her so family. Let me ask you something. Is there something about that that is on some level appealing to you? No. I think what would be appealing to me that I'm single and that I can go out and meet different people. Mm, gotcha. It may have been honestly a miscommunication on yeah. my part, because I honestly don't remember what was said at that initial meeting. But my interpretation was that you wanted an open marriage. I had already set you up, but I feel like it was confirmed in a way by you saying, well, I don't want my husband to know that. It wasn't that you said, oh, no, that's not what I meant. You said, I don't want my husband to know that. Well, because I had talked to him, because I think in that podcast, I said, we talked about this the other night. And when he said, I don't want to be part of anything like that, I know he would never, which I kind of knew in my heart because he'd been cheated on, he would never be part of that. Like I said, not that I really wanted it. I wanted to know what the dating world was like. It's not like I haven't been thinking about separation for a while. And maybe I've mentioned it to you before, but... I just feel like I'm carrying everything and he's not. I can relate. <laughs> and after, you know, I'm tired and I want someone to take care of me once in a while. The thing that's holding me back is I love him. I still love him. So what was it in that moment when you said, I don't want him to know that? What was the primary motivating factor behind not revealing that to him? Because we had just had that conversation a couple nights before, and I wasn't ready to leave yet or have him leave yet. Did you feel as though if you had talked about it on the podcast that he would have left or the possibility was there? I think so. Yeah. But it didn't mean that I did a flip a switch. These were things that were going on with me internally and in my mind. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I want an open marriage. And then I come in here, put on the earphones. No, I can't. You know, my husband. No, this was things going on in my mind. And the first discussion that we had, I just kind of want to know more information. And then that night, you know, because even Raylan said he'd heard that you had said to Axel, you had an open marriage. You're now divorced. Raylan, you're kind of open to it. You're a no. You pointed at me and you're like, you're a no. I don't remember hearing that. But apparently that was said. So then you said to me in the podcast, you're like, so you want an open marriage? And I said, no. I said, my husband and I talked about it because when we really talked about the open marriage polyamorous, he didn't even know what the topic was going to be that night. And so that's why I talked to him. Mm. I wanted him to know. I mean, I was forthcoming. So I didn't want him to hear the episode, me say, I don't want a polyamorous relationship. I'm thinking about leaving him and I'm seeing about what's dating world like. Uh, so it was just a lot of, I think, misunderstanding that happened there. But regardless of what all the details were, obviously, Hazel came out of that. Not just Hazel. I mean, I know it wasn't just Hazel. Came out of that with the impression of, OK, so Willow's going to have this over here. And then whenever the microphone turns on, she's going to omit mm -hmm. part of her life. Mm -hmm. So that's where that event that happened. You know, you and I have talked about this and I think I put it on Discord because the two people that have said that about me now are no longer here. They're MIA and they're so authentic. 
uh, one of them is no longer here because she can't woman up and be an adult. And the other one. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) And the other one can't man up and own up to his unauthentic self. So it's really rich that the two people that are accusing me of lying are so fucking hypocritical. You know, I listened to that podcast. I was so fucking pissed when I listened to that on Friday. I texted you right away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, I don't have a problem with Will. I don't have a problem with Will. Nobody else knew about because that night I left. I taped one hour with Vixen. And, and this is the night that we recorded that yes. fight? Yeah. Okay. I recorded one hour with Vixen and then I left. Again, I wasn't part of it. It should only be the people that were part of it. But I came in here to record. Hazel was sitting right where I'm sitting. And I came in and I sat by her. I'm like, hey, Hazel, how's it going? And she could barely like cough up one or two words to me and talk about Frozen, which, okay, I don't care. Fuck you. Okay. And I even told you, I said, whoa, I got the cold shoulder. Well, I did tell her even on that episode, doesn't hide things real well. (laughs) No, for her to sit there and record two hours later and say, I don't have a problem with Will is fucking rich because you want to talk about authentic, own up to it. I don't care if you like me or not, but don't you dare call me unauthentic and then you can't fucking say it on the recording. No, I don't like her. I don't care if she likes me or not. I could give a flying two ass rat's ass if she likes me or not, but. Don't, do not sit there and call me unauthentic when you can't even fucking admit it when two hours previous, you couldn't even muster out the word shit to me. So fuck you. That's what I think about you, Hazel. Fuck you. <laughs> and Well, I don't think we're going to have a problem getting down to the real emotions tonight. No. And Chase, fuck you too. Because I don't like you either. Fucking pussy ass motherfucker. (laughs) All right. Is there anything you want the listeners to know? Since obviously we publicized that fight. We publicized the fact that she was leaving the podcast. We had a whole discussion about you, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give you a platform and an opportunity to say what you felt the listeners needed to know. Anything else before we dive into other things? No, I think I've said it. She developed opinions about people within two minutes, and whether it was self-preservation or I'm a 16-year-old high school girl, whatever, but it's really rich, as hypocritical as she is. And then to ruin friendships, someone like that, no wonder she doesn't have a relationship. She never will. And all I think is I just feel sorry for her. So I don't care what the listeners think, what I think, but put yourself in my shoes. You know, someone's calling you not authentic or not real. And then two and a half hours later, they can't even admit it. It's priceless. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, let's talk about you now. Okay. Let's let the listeners go on the journey of Willow and learn who you are. And you've got, I think, some very impactful life stories that could help a lot of people, Mm -hmm. which is really the main motivation for why I wanted to do this because in listening to your story and I think I even said it to you whenever we sat together crying at the restaurant (laughs) like your story could have a huge impact on women who have been through some of the things you've been through so I don't know what this episode will end up becoming but whatever degree that you're willing to go there I think a lot of women will relate to you I hope any women are in a situation that this gives them an aha moment and they can find the solace and the peace that they need to leave. So you were born and grew up in Illinois, is that correct? Correct. All right. So tell us a little bit about what life as a child, when Willow was a girl, what was that like? Lonely. What was lonely about it? I had older siblings. They were already out of the house. My father died when I was young. How old were you when your father died? I was 10. How did it happen? heart attack. He had one a year previous, but this was in the late 70s. And, you know, back then they were like, I think he was like a three and a half pack a day smoker. And back then they were like, okay, just cut back, you know. Mm. Well, yeah, I think he cut back down to three. He had another one. It was a massive. He died instantly. Wow. Now, were you in the same room as him or where were you at the time when this happened? I was sitting across from the table from him. Wow. And you were 10? I was 10. 
So as a 10-year-old girl watching your dad across the table, mm-hmm. take us through what emotions were you experiencing while that was happening? I don't even know what I was experiencing. It was actually at a restaurant there in my hometown. We'd all gone out to dinner. His mom was there because my grandma was still alive. And my mom and my brother, my sister was gone. She was actually down here in San Antonio in um, Air Force boot camp. And, you know, they called the ambulance. It just seemed forever before it got there. And we went up to the hospital. And I just kept thinking, yeah, he's going to be okay. And you think that might have been because it had happened before and he was okay? Yeah, I think so. I think that had a lot to do with it. He was very abrasive. He was a Marine. He was in Vietnam. He was in Korea. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Do you think that adversely affected you? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I think it would affect any child. Yeah. And I probably didn't get the emotional support that I needed. I mean, you know, back then in the 80s, the 70s, nobody did counseling for their kids. Nobody thought about mental health for their kids. And my mom was a widow at 43, 44, and she just kind of checked out. I mean, she was just like, do whatever. Was she struggling to cope herself with I the think circumstances? So. Yeah. And I love my mom. And for the longest time, I was very angry at her. But she's freaking, what, 88 now? I mean, like, at a point, you grow up, you know, you don't forget things that have transpired with your parents. Yeah. But you've got to forgive because if you don't, it makes you a very angry person. And I feel like if I didn't forgive her... I couldn't be a good parent, and I didn't want to make the same mistakes with my kids that I made, that she made with me. I was going to be a better mother. At the time when you're growing up in your preteens and teenage years, did you have the understanding that your mom was struggling to cope with the circumstances or that she was checked out, or how were you translating that at that point? I didn't think about it then that that she was struggling with. I was a kid, and I was a girl, so... Going into your teen years, girls are very self-absorbed anyway. I know I was self-absorbed. I know I was like all about me. And I probably did give her a hard time. But comparatively to what my friends were doing, I was a piece of cake. I was a walk in the park. And I really give credit to my best friend back at home that she's been my best friend since I was seven. Her mom and dad basically raised me. Like they would take me on vacations. They would take me camping. I was always at their house. Always. They lived like two blocks from me. Because if it wasn't for them, I don't know where I'd be today. Mm. She just wasn't emotionally there. I don't know if she would have been any different if he had survived. I think she's just that way. She's not very warm and fuzzy, you know. So what type of identity beliefs about yourself did you start to, I guess, believe in? because of the emotional neglect that you had growing up? Did it cause you to question whether you were lovable? No. Did it cause you to question whether you were a good person? No, not until after my divorce. Then I started reflecting, self-reflecting, because I was so broken at that point. You know, at that time I was smarter, a little more of an adult, and then I started, and plus I was broken down mentally, emotionally. So then you start thinking bad thoughts and negativity and you're like, you start to realize I'm destined to be a bad luck charm. I mean, for the longest time, if I hadn't been born, maybe dad hadn't died because I was a big oops or a tornado would happen. I'd be like, well, if I hadn't been born, you know, maybe it is me, you know. So Um, you took responsibility for anything and everything. Anything that happened bad. It was because of you. Because of me. Now, did anyone explicitly state that Mm-mm. negative things happened because of you or that was just something that you took something on Something I took on myself after the divorce that it was, well, and then that and somebody telling me that I can't do anything right day in, day out for 10 years, you know. Meaning your ex-husband? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So then you take that and then, you know. Well, let's back up a little bit because I would assume you would have had to on some level have believed that in order to stay the first time he said it? Yes and no. It's insidious. It's not brazen. You know, people think that they're just dicks from the get-go. So did he love bomb you? Yeah. So at first things were good. How old were you when you met him? I was 23 and he was 35. 
And what were the circumstances of your life at that point? I was a single mother with my oldest. She was two, two and a half. I was in cosmetology school. I always wanted to have a career to fall back on, and I couldn't afford college at that time to finish out college. And I was working two jobs, and I had just taken my state board for Illinois, and I, I met him, and he was coming out of a relationship. How'd you guys meet? Met through a mutual friend and at a bar in Illinois. Yeah. And, you know, he was funny. He was charismatic. Yeah. And he had a good job. He was building a new house. He had a Harley. He wasn't a bad boy, maybe a little, but he bought me my first pair of shears. He was good with my oldest daughter. He had a daughter about the same age. He had two previous daughters because he started young. He was married when he was like 17. He's got daughters that are not much younger than me that he gave up. He just signed over his rights because he didn't want to pay child support. And he's got grandchildren he doesn't see. The daughters still talk to me. I mean, we're still close. We still talk. But he's such a narcissist that nobody can have a relationship with him. I mean, my daughters don't even have a relationship with him. So at first, you obviously weren't seeing any of that side. You were seeing all the good. He was giving you gifts and I assume being nice to you verbally. Right. Right. So then when did things start to change? When we got married. So you didn't see any of that behavior Mm -mm. until after Mm -hmm. it was legally solidified. Yep. And when was the first time that something wasn't right? Probably three months into the marriage. And what happened then? He started an argument for no reason. And it got heated. And all of a sudden, I ended up on the floor, pushed me down. And I was like, what just happened? And that had been the first time he had ever touched you in a negative way. Okay. And he called me a vile name. And then I was like, so now I had been with one other person and we never fought like that. So I was like, maybe he's having a bad day because you start making excuses like, Mm. you know, he's having a bad day. Or what did I say wrong to trigger that? You start thinking it probably won't happen again, right? It won't happen again. And there is stages of abuse. It's called the honeymoon stage. After they do something to you, they come back, they apologize, or they'll give you gifts. It's called the honeymoon stage. They'll be Mm. good for a while. And then the circle of abuse happens again. It's just a vicious cycle. So after he had done that and calmed down, then he was coming at you and wooing you again. Right. I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, okay, you know. And then it was more just little into windows of... Cutting you down? Cutting me down. And why do you think when that started, that you accepted it? I don't know. But I accepted all that until I hit 30. And I don't know what happened when I hit 30, but it was like a light bulb went off and I just didn't give a fuck anymore. Had it gotten much worse at that point? Oh, yeah. So take us through the escalation there. It started with a shove on the ground. A shove. Then what happened? And then there were more fights, controlling of the money. I was put on allowance. I got $20 a week. I had to hand over all my money to him. Because from my standpoint, and then this is probably a lot of women that haven't gone through this situation, Mm -hmm. it seems easy to just say, hell no, I'm not doing that. Right. So take me through the psyche of a woman who doesn't think she has another option. What was going through your mind and heart at that point to where you saw that was your only option? I honestly didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I thought that's what married couples do. I had a couple of girlfriends back home. They're like, that's not right. And he would cut me down in front of them. Either what I was wearing, my hair, I was too fat or I was getting too skinny. I was never, never good enough for him. So let's just take an instance where he had said, you're too fat or mm-hmm. one of these cutting remarks towards you. And he did it in front of his friends, my friends. He didn't give a shit who was there. So not only is he cutting you down, but he's cutting you down publicly and mm-hmm. publicly humiliating. Mm-hmm. So take me through the psyche of a woman that's going through that and doesn't immediately walk away. I think it was security. Okay. He was good with my daughter and I didn't want another failure in my life. I think that was a lot of it. I didn't want failure in my life. And that being a failed marriage? Yeah. And I didn't want my family to know what was going on because there's a part of that is shame, Mm. you know, because you start realizing what's happening, but you don't want to 
have anyone know about it. Because matter of fact, my family was so oblivious to it. When I told them that I was leaving the first time and how I was leaving, they're like, is there another guy? I'm oh, like, wow. No, you don't know what I've been living with. And they're like, well, tell us. I'm like, no, because I know my brother would have killed him. They still don't know half the stuff and they don't need to know. So did you feel as though it would somehow be used against you if they knew the situation? Yeah. yeah. I feel like they would have been like, what are you doing to get him so mad? What are you doing? You know, oh, you got to stay with him. You know, it's marriage. It's sacred. I was raised very religiously, religiously. conservative. You know, you get married, you get married for good, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I didn't want another failure in my life. You know, I quit college. And what were your beliefs about marriage at that point? Did you also adhere yeah. to that, that marriage is for once and right. you don't leave? Right. No matter what, I was going to make it work. You know, it started escalating even more and more and more. I even thought to myself, I'm going to stay until the girls graduate high school because there would have not been anything left of me. Nothing left of me. I kind of attribute it to like a statue. What they do is you're a whole concrete statue when you get with someone like that. And what they do is they just little by little chip away at you Mm. until there's nothing left. After I left the second time and for good, which usually takes like nine times for a woman to leave for good. And usually the ninth time it's because she's been killed. And I knew that's where it was heading. And when I got pregnant with our daughter, he told me, he said, you can't leave me now. If you do, I'll put a fucking bullet in your head. And he even told me that again in the hospital. I had just delivered her. I was holding her. And he goes, I told you, you can't leave. I'll fucking put a bullet in your head. And then my family walks in to see her. You know, I just spit out a nine pound kid and he's telling me he's going to put a fucking bullet in my head and my family walks in and I'm supposed to put on a happy face. And he'd say things like, I went into preterm labor a couple times and I did with my first one. And the last time it was on a Sunday morning and one of the big NASCAR races were on, which stereotype, imagine that. And they stopped the labor. They're like, it's just, you know, Braxton Hicks. It's no big deal. And he looked at me and he goes, Jesus Christ. He goes, I've had babies with two other women and they've never done this. He goes, you can't even have a baby right. Wow. So I did leave that afternoon. I got back to the house and I left. So what was it in that moment about that comment that caused you to leave where you hadn't before? It was just soul crushing. You know, I'm pregnant. I'm carrying your kid and you're insulting me about the two other women. One was an illegitimate kid that he had with this girl because she claimed she couldn't get pregnant. And two weeks later, she was pregnant. And then the other one was your wife. And then you signed rights over to her when the kids were like two and three. So it's not like he was the epitome of father of the year. And this is actually one that you are ready for. You're an adult. You're ready for. You're in a marriage. And you want to say that to me? And I had nowhere to go except, you know, my friend's house. My sister lived not far down the road. I could have went to her house, but I couldn't tell anybody other than a couple close friends. So he had said nasty things to you before. Yep. And you had mentioned that, you know, you were concerned about what your family would think and Mm -hmm. things like that. So why was it in that moment on that day, none of that mattered anymore, that it was enough to finally get you out the door? What was it about that day? Well, it got me out the door that day, but I came back. I mean, I came back that night. But even to get to that point, what was the change between all the comments before that? Maybe it was the hormones. I don't know. It broke my heart. I mean, like, I remember pulling in my friend's driveway because he took me home and he went downstairs and started watching the race. And I just grabbed my purse and, and left. Of course, that was prior to cell phones. It was a few years before cell phones. And I pulled in my girlfriend's driveway and I just was sobbing. And she came out and she's like, what the hell's going on? And she just had her first baby a couple months before that. And I told her, and she's like, oh my God. So I just stayed at their house for that day. But you're saying that to me with nurses around. Did they react? They turned around and looked at him. I know they were thinking like, what a dickhead, but they didn't see any physical, you know, so they couldn't do anything. Now, I don't know, maybe they would. I don't know. He was a product of abuse. His father was very abusive. He was actually ended up being raised by his grandparents. 
So the cycle kept going. Yeah, I was going to say he probably heard the same comments directed Mm -hmm. at him. His sister would keep a gallon of Drano in her bedroom after he was living with his grandparents. And she would bring it out when they'd start fighting. And she would say, I'm going to drink this if you guys don't stop fighting. And one day, one of their sinks clogged. So their dad went in and got her Drano. She was in school and unplugged the sink with the Drano. But he went out and bought her another jug of Drano. Weird family. (laughs) Obviously, he was not coming out of it with the best of circumstances. No. At any point, did you see any of that as red flags or... Did none of that occur to you as being a potential problem? No, because I was so young. I was 23 and I wasn't from the same town he was in from. And I was sheltered. I didn't know what domestic abuse was. I didn't know any of that. So what would you say to a 23-year-old today who has met this guy that's got the flowery language and he's charismatic and he's giving her the gifts, but his family is all kinds of fucked up? And you know his past is all kinds of fucked up. What would you say to that girl? Run. And do you think it's possible for someone from circumstances like that to elevate themselves above that? It is if they've done the work. But very few men have done the work. My abuse counselor told me she was court appointed back in our county to work with the men that were court mandated because they were found guilty of domestic. And she said they come from all walks of life. She said, you know, you see this stereotype. Everybody thinks, oh, it's lower class. It's alcoholic. No, it's not. This abuse counselor said the only way these guys get better is through group therapy. And she said it's a constant daily fight for them. No different than alcoholism or drug abuse. 5% of them are narcissists and they've all had abuse in their background. And my attorney back home told me when I had filed the first time, he said, I've been doing family law for 30 some years. He said, I found that men like this, if they don't have a good foundation, they're not going to be good husbands and fathers. He goes, they don't have an example. He said, I've seen it in every case. And he said, he's going to get worse. He's going to escalate because you're trying to take your portion of the 401k. You're trying to take the portion of the house. You're trying to get what's equitable to you. And I'd even talk to him. I said, look, you're calling me names every day. I'm not obviously attracted. You're not attracted to me. You're telling me you're going to go out and screw other women. You're obviously not happy, right? So I said, let's just call it. We didn't have any car debt. We had no debt but the house. I said, let's just call this pay to pay. I'll walk away. Just pay the child support. Walk away. I don't want anything. And he said, I told you when we had our daughter, if you left, I'd put a fucking bullet in your head. And he goes, I mean it. So the first time I left, I had to basically get an apartment. I had to borrow some money and get an apartment on the side. I got my own car. He went to work because he worked second shift. It was snowing like crazy snowstorm. And he was kind of like, went to work. I took the car out to where he worked. So he had two, both cars out there. I had my new car. I had furniture delivered to my new place. I had a friend take my daughters to my mom's house. You know, I didn't want her to know where I was going to be because I knew he would call. And it was just better for her not to honestly know where I was at. And that's how I left. But then when I filed and he got the papers, he just went ballistic. He was harassing me every day. Was he actively trying to get you to come back? Oh, yeah. And of course, he did the, I'm going to try to commit suicide thing. He ended up in the hospital. And of course, he had registered firearms and they went in and took his firearms then because he ended up in the hospital, the psych ward. So he blamed me then for that. For So he was telling you because you had left him is why he was doing this. Yeah. So I was the reason for all that. And then, you know, of course, he lost his firearms. State police came in and I was blamed for that all the time after that. But then he said, I'll change We'll go to therapy together. And I'm like, okay, but you're the one that needs therapy. And I can go with you once in a while. But I said, you're the one that needs help. So we were apart for six months. And I ended up going back with him. Sold my furniture. Tell me about that day. What was it that caused you to make that decision? I wanted to tell my girls that I wanted to let... And my girlfriends were so pissed. 
But I wanted to be able to tell my daughters that I did everything I could, everything I could. Did you feel like you were going to lose your children's respect? No, I just wanted them to know that their mom did everything that she could to keep that marriage together. If that was giving him one more chance, it was going to give him one more chance. But within two weeks after I moved back in with him, I knew it was a big mistake. My oldest daughter called me up crying. I had left, ran into town for some groceries. We kind of lived on the outskirts of town. And she called me because he yelled at the girls, screamed at him because they walked on his mowed lawn. So he saw footprints on the mowed lawn. You know, at the time, my oldest was nine, 10, and little one was three. And that was in August. And then I turned around and left him then again in March. I basically. This is time number two? That was time number two. And that was the last time. So why do you think it only took you two where it's taken other women, as you stated, nine times? What was it that gave you that resolve to finally Because I knew one. I knew one of us was going to get killed. I was either going to kill him or he was going to kill me because there was a pivotal moment in that month before I left the last time where I kind of had an out-of-body experience with him. He came home drunk and he never really drank, but he was frustrated and he made me suffer. He punished me those six months. He punished me bad for leaving him. He duped me. You know, it was like, I want you back. I want you back. Once I got him back, he punished me horribly for leaving him the first time. So he came home that night and I had the girls in bed with me. We had seen Jungle Book and he came home and I could tell by the way he was walking in the kitchen. You know, it's like three in the morning and I swooped him up and I put him in their bedrooms and I shut the door and I laid back down and I fell asleep, almost asleep. And I was laying on my right side. And next thing I know, I get plummeted in my temple, my left temple. He punched you? Mm Mm-hmm. And I woke up to that. And before I knew it, I was on top of him. I had his finger. I was on top of him. And I'm like, you can wake me up. Because every night he'd come home from work and he'd wake me up. He'd throw things at me because he'd come home at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. He'd work second shift. Come home at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. He would throw a bill at me. You know, hey, what's this bill about? He even like gave me a lecture one night for an hour and a half because I had a flat tire and I wrote a check to Walmart for a spare tire because our spare tire in the back was bad. I had a baby, a six-month-old, and my seven-year-old with me. He raised such a fuss. He went back to Walmart. They gave him back the bad tire that was flat, and they gave him back the money and still had us keep the new tire. That's how much hell he raised. But he lectured me for two hours. But that night, I said, you can wake me up all you want, but you're not going to wake up these girls. And he spit at me, spit on my face. I think that's when my whole persona changed. What was it about that? Anger. Just years of anger. And like I said, I hit 30 and something changed in me. Like when he'd hit me, it really didn't even really hurt anymore. I'd just laugh at him, which got him more pissed off. You think you were disassociating? Probably. You know, he'd tell me, he's like, well, I know you're fucking someone else because you're not fucking me. And I'd be like, I'm having orgasms all the time. You're just not in the room. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is what, 2003 at this time? And I'd been taking boxing and kickboxing since 98. So that was the way that I could get out the frustrations. You know, before I knew it, I was on top of him. He spit on me. I was on top of him. And I actually had an out-of-body experience. I was looking at myself, kicking his ass. I was hitting him so hard. Blood was coming out of his nose, was hitting him in his face. And he's like, get the fuck off me. You know, stupid bitch, get the fuck off. And all I could see then was me being hauled away in cuffs and my daughter seeing that. And then I just stopped and I slept in my daughter's room, locked the door. Well, the next day, my oldest had a piano recital. What was that like trying to live a normal life (laughs) after something like that? It was hard. Trying to get up and be mom and be professional at work and all of those things. I ended up losing my job because of it, because I was falling asleep at my job because I was just mentally drained and sleep deprived. And then when I left him, I started working two jobs. So I was cutting hair in the evenings and I was doing loan underwriting during the day. And when I left him the second time, he's like, I don't want anything. So I waived the 401k. I waived 
the house, any proceeds from the house. He got to keep everything in the savings and the checking account. Wow. He kept the furniture and no child support because we were going to do half joint custody, which he never had the kids ever. So finally, like five years later, I took him to court for child support and I had to call my attorney and the police because he showed up and just went vile on me at my apartment. I said, I have to have money. You don't ever have her. So I can't live without child support. That was the agreement. They were going to have her half the time. And he wasn't holding his end of the bargain. So we used one attorney and I gave him everything. I gave him everything. Oh. Because I knew if I didn't, he would have killed me because money was the driving force. If things were then like now, I'd fight him tooth and nail. So what would you tell a woman that's in that situation with young kids involved and wanting to get out, but being told that a bullet's going to be put through her head? What advice would you give a woman in that situation now, knowing what you know of today? You're not going to be able to rationalize with them or talk down to them or talk any sense with them. But you need to plan your escape very carefully. Either plan your escape to go to a shelter go to a friend's house, reach out to a family member, but you need to plan it and leave while they're at work and make sure they don't know where you're at. If you have to file an order of protection, which I have my views on orders of protection that they're just simple pieces of paper. They don't mean anything. They can't do anything for people, but at least it's something that's documented. But plan your escape without anybody knowing anything. And you got to do it meticulously I was sneaking things out. I was sneaking like a dish or two out of the house. And he'd be like, where's that gravy bowl? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Why didn't your deposit go through? And it was a couple of days before I left. I'm like, I don't know. And just hoping to God that he would be patient long enough, you know, where he wouldn't start putting two and two together. But he was pretty stupid. So I don't know. <laughs> but he told me when we got divorced. I mean, like, literally, we walked out of the courthouse together, and he told me, he goes, I'm just letting you know, I'm not going to be single for very long. I need someone to help take care of my shit. That's what he said. Wow. So he went to a divorce recovery group, and they weren't supposed to date people in the group. But he found some other victim, and she was even younger, 20 years younger than him. And they ended up getting married, and she's left him a couple times, but she's still there. And she's reached out to my daughter, like my daughter is her therapist. She's got problems with him. And, you know, my daughter's like, I don't know what to tell her. I'm like, tell her she makes enough money, she get her goddamn therapist. Like, <laughs> you know, I said, you have your own issues with him. I said, you don't need her bullshit. And she's very codependent and she's never lived on her own. She's moved from her parents' house to him. And I said, you know, she wants to stay there and be called every name in the book and live a horrible life. She looks about 30 years older than I do. She looks like hell because he sucks the life out of you, you know. And I didn't realize it, but my oldest, I told my mom when we were still together, she's like, Grandma, I don't know what's wrong with my mom. She like doesn't laugh or smile anymore. So I didn't think I was shown it outwardly, but I must have been. But then, you know, after I left the second time, then it hit me. It hit me really hard, really hard to the point where I was working so much and I was sleep deprived. I ended up in the hospital and basically I started literally all over again. Is it possible that on some subconscious level you did want to just let it go? Maybe. There was just nothing left of me. That's what happens. They just take everything out of you because they don't have anything in themselves that they're proud of, that they've got to just knock you down all the time to make themselves feel better. He was a partier in the town. People knew him, but we would be out and, you know, people would say hi to him or whatever. And he'd tell me, he's like, hey, you know, that gal over there. I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I fucked her. Or, you know, oh, I fucked her. Or I fucked her. I'm like, who does that? Like, who really does that? And I'd actually have people come up to me. They're like, oh, you married him? I said, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, you're too nice for him. People knew he was an asshole. And they still think he's an asshole, I think. Why did you stay? Ten years, right? Ten years. Why did you stay? I didn't think I could support the girls on my own. And I didn't want a bullet in my head. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really believed that he was going to put a bullet in my head. Mm. 
And I forgoed everything as far as the financial because I wanted him and I to be able to be in the same room with the high school graduations, the college graduation, the weddings. And now he stopped seeing my daughter when she was like 14. And I think that's because he hated me so much. And she looks a lot like me that he just didn't want around. She's dealing with her own demons with him because she does. She's got like a lot of abandonment. But my husband now has been very good to her. She thinks of him more of as a father, even as a stepfather. He taught her how to drive. He's been there for her, helped her move, whatever. So let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. So you've been married now how long? We've been married for going on nine years, been together 10. And I've known him since 1977. (laughs) So you've known each other a long time. Yep. Did he know your husband then, I assume? No. Your ex-husband, I mean? No, he didn't. He met him later on. So this was now your second marriage? Yes. And so going into second marriage, what did you feel like you had learned from the first one that you were taking into your second marriage? Did you have new perspective on it at that point? I did. I actually hadn't really dated anybody. I was so scarred that my husband now had to break down so many walls. We were friends. And he reached out to me on Facebook because he had gone through a divorce and his kids were having kind of a hard time. And he knew that I had gone through a divorce and wanted some advice about the kids. So we met for coffee for a couple of times. He'd asked if there was someone in the picture because he didn't want to piss anybody off. I said, no, there's no one in the picture. I was going to school at that time and had the girls. And my goal at that time was just to finish undergrad, get the girls out of my house and get the hell out of Illinois. So then he wanted like lunch dates. And I'm like, no, well, don't you date? I'm like, no, I don't date. You know, I was kind of like a Lolita and (laughs) Athena in that respect. I liked my own place. I liked my own stuff. So this was nine years after I got divorced. I dated guys here and there, but they never met my kids. So what was it about your current husband that you felt like this is something I could have around for a while? I guess because it felt safe because I knew him. You know, I've known mm-hmm. him for so long, but he had to fight hard. Finally, I conceded to have lunch with him because it was my birthday. And so he took me out to lunch and he got to kiss me on the cheek. I was like, OK. So then, you know, a week or so later, he's like, let's go to dinner. And I'm like, no, because then like dinner, dinner's a date. You know, I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do dinner. A couple of weeks later, he's like, please, just let's just do dinner. We're just dinner as friends. I'm like, okay, all right. So we went to dinner. And at that time, my oldest, she's in her second year of college in Chicago, and she turned 21. So she was giving me some issues. And he just started being like, not needy, but you know, calling me shit and like sending me texts. Just he's putting fucking flowers on my car and candy and. <laughs> He came over one night, knocked on my door and had flowers. It was like 930 at night. And I'm like, if you don't fucking stop, I'm going to call the cops. I'm like, I don't want your flowers. I don't want candy. I don't want anything. I just want you to leave me the fuck alone. So then the next day he came to my work and my friend and I were working together and she came back from lunch and he was putting like a card and a cup of candy on my car and She knew what had happened, and she was like, what are you doing? She was I don't think that's a good idea. Did you hear? She was going to call the cops on me. She's like, that's why I don't think it's a good idea that you leave her son in the car. She goes, how about if I just take it to her? And so he was like, could you do that? Yeah. So then my friend brings it in, and she goes, here, this is from my husband. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm like, he's not even taking a hint. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Because she's never been married. She's raising her son all by herself. And she can't find a good man at all. She's had her problems with men. And she's like, I would kill for someone like that. She goes, he really likes you. And I'm like, what? Like, I've known him since I was seven. I said, I'm sure he's someone else that wants to, you know, fuck me over or suck the life out of me. Or she's like, will you just give him a chance? And so I did. I gave him a chance. Do you regret that now? No, I don't. Because within a couple of months, he was saying, I love you. And I was like, like putting my hand over his mouth because I wasn't there yet. It took me a long time to get there. Mm. 
And there's nothing that he wouldn't do for me. But I said that I wouldn't marry him. I never wanted to get married again, never wanted to get married again. But before I knew it, I wanted to marry him because I saw what he did with my daughter. I saw what he did with me. My last class to get my undergrad, it was a statistics course and it was condensed. So I'd go one night a week for five hours and then the rest I was doing a math lab. And he did everything. He grocery shopped. He took care of the house. And I was like, he's a keeper. And next thing you know, I'm like, I think we can get married. And we've been married ever since. But, you know, like all marriages, we have our ups and downs. So what was it that made you decide to reach out to me several months ago to be on this podcast? Well, actually, I was looking for a second job because I did get a job in September. But it was like, you know, $6,000 less than what I was making before. So I was just looking, you know, through the ads. And then I saw that. And I was like, oh, you know. You saw the ad looking for personalities on, yeah. on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that might be kind of fun. Not that I really have a, a smashing personality, but. <laughs> what was it that appealed to you about it? It would get me out of my comfort zone. Because like I said, I'm not very social. I don't network. I don't like crowds. Does this go back to the safety? I think so. I do have social anxiety. Crowds of people really throw me in a panic. So what was it that made you want to get involved with this band of misfits? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because, you know, I'm an empty nester. And I thought, you know, this would be kind of fun, you know, something for me. How often do you do things just for you? Rarely. I used to have a horse, but he died. And we're getting to the point where, you know, I'm getting that age where I start thinking about my mortality and, you know, I've fell off of him a couple of times. He was a big horse and I've ridden all my life and I still would love to get a horse. But I think the reality is you're old as fuck. Maybe you should be riding horses anymore. (laughs) So instead, I'll go on a sex podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be riding something that ain't going to be a horse. So talk about the experience. We'll just close out with that. Your time here on the podcast, just what's it been like for you? I've had so much fun and I've learned so much stuff. Like I didn't know about like sex clubs, like when Axel was talking about like how they had to change the sheets and like, because I've never watched a porno and I seriously mean I've never watched porno. I've never been to a strip club. We got to change that, huh? I know. <laughs> this is like, because I never had the typical bachelor at party. I didn't have any of the typical coming of age stuff, mm. you know? So I'm learning a lot. Like, I didn't know there was people like Vixen. And I was like, shit, I could have saved $100,000 and not got my master's and just been a <laughs> There is actually people that would pay you to get your shank. (laughs) Yeah, right? I'm even thinking about, well, student loans, I can get my student loans maybe paid for. I can get that on the side. But yeah, I'm just like, shit. You're gorgeous. Thank you. It's not too late. (laughs) uh, Gravity's kicking in. It might be a little late. Oh, I don't think so. You still got it, girl. Thank you. So I'm learning so much. And... It's so weird because my friends back home, you know, I'll send them the link to listen, you know, they're like, we can't believe you're on this. The same person, the same person who couldn't even say orgasm 10 years ago. I would just say, oh, I said the O word. I just say the, you know, the O word. They're like, orgasm. I'm like, stop. Orgasm. Just say orgasm. I'm like, stop. And the same person that didn't use her sex toy. So, so this really went, did take you out of your it comfort did. zone. It did. Of course, my family doesn't know. Like, they'd probably, like, bring down holy water on me and, like, do a exorcism or something on me. <laughs> <laughs> they knew. <laughs> but, yeah, my friends are like, this is a new you. And I'm like, well, yeah, maybe it is new me. So I'm trying to branch out and broaden my horizons a little bit. But this is who I am. I mean, everybody's been through a lot of shit. Absolutely. Nobody has been oblivious to shit in their lives. That's absolutely right. You know? I agree. Yep. And as I've said before on this podcast, we're all some level of fucked up. <laughs> Everybody in this world is some level of fucked up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anything else you want to tell the listeners about you? No. Reach out, say hi on Discord or... Absolutely. We are there every day. Every day. Usually creating drama. <laughs> well, a lot Willow, of it. <laughs> Willow, that is one thing I realized about you. You're very adverse to conflict. So yesterday you're in, you're in the Discord when me and Athena are going at it. Like, guys, stop. Stop the conflict. Stop. <laughs> when I said that it saddened me, you're in Hazel's relationship. I truly meant that from the bottom of my heart. I wish I would have got to know her. And I think we could have worked everything out, but I would have liked to work it out like two adults because I am not one to talk on a social platform and handle disputes. I rather eye to eye, face to face, because that's what us old folks like to do. (laughs) But it's just unfortunate that I didn't get to know her. Well, and that's not the result of every conflict. I mean, as you've seen, Athena and I can go at it on the regular. Raylan and I go at it on the regular. Yeah. And I embrace being challenged. I have no problem with that. And in many ways, especially with Athena and I, I feel like that is how we work out Uh our value system, Mm -hmm. our belief system, whatever it might be, is kind of like the iron sharpening the iron. You know, and I can't speak for Athena, but I certainly can speak for myself in saying that I value and appreciate when someone can call me out to the mat. As you've seen, I have no problem going out to the ring and Mm -hmm. let's battle us out. Mm-hmm. But I'm not holding it against the other person or mm-hmm. not wanting the relationship to exist beyond that. It is possible to have differences of opinion sure. and even conflict and still walk away stronger. Right. So Athena and I are a living example of that. <laughs> but then there's at the end of the day. And like I told Athena, you know, we said this to you and I've texted to you. I don't give a fuck what you want to do. This is your baby. This is your podcast. And I will respect anything that you want to do. And I respect your opinion. If I don't want to participate in something, I won't participate. But I'm never going to say, I think this is a bad idea. I shouldn't have a say-so in that. And I know that. I know my place. But is it possible that some of that is a limiting belief, maybe possibly even from your childhood, in thinking that you don't have the same worthiness of another person in the room? No, I think it's showing that I have respect for you and that I have enough respect to know that I will tell you, I sure in the fuck ain't gonna put on Discord, but I'll tell you, I'll be like, hey, can we talk? You know, because that's just how I am. I would rather talk to someone because I think I'm very reasonable and I think we can always agree to disagree. But I'm never gonna say, I don't like what you said. Okay, that's your opinion. You know what they say about opinions. I respect this forum and I respect you for creating this forum. And if you have an idea and you want to run with it, let's do it. I may not be a part of it, but I'm going to support you. Well, I will say that. That is one thing you've been from the very beginning is very supportive. Mm-hmm. So I told I want you. you know, I really appreciate that. I always have your back. I, I mean, always have your back. Even through all of the drama with Hazel and her leaving the podcast and everything, it, you know, you were there and making me know that you were there. Right. When I said that day that I backed out, I'm sorry. I backed out because I had good intentions. I know. At the end of the day, uh, I think the result would have been the same regardless if you had ever come to this podcast. Yeah. If it wasn't me, it was going to be somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. And that just makes me sad because friendships, they need to be cherished. And I don't like it when people don't cherish them like I cherish them. And maybe it's because, you know, I don't let too many people in. And the ones I do let in, I keep very close. Well, well, I'm so glad that you are a part of what we are doing here. Thank you. And I'm glad you have me. So just unbelievably proud of you and also excited that... The listeners will get to hear your story. I hope they don't hate me either. (laughs) There's that fear of rejection. I know, but whatever. (laughs) It will be what it will be. Right, Spider? If you say so. (laughs) Yeah, because I know you want to kill me, so. That's in self-defense, though. Let's get that straight. That's a preventative measure so that you don't kill me first. 
would never do that. I like you, Spider. I enjoy you as well. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> well, with that. With that. Whether it's horses or shanks <laughs> or whatever it is you love, go find your passion. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you love this, don't forget to leave a rating and review. To connect with us and ask questions, visit us at goodbadhorrible.com.